Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Hey, I just want to give you a, a warning right now. This is going to be a PG-13 message. And so uh, it's actually probably not anything more than a lot of schools are teaching our elementary kids, but I just want you to know because you're in church, uh, if you're not ready, or maybe you've got your little kid with you, um, just so you're, you're prepared. And if, if you get up and need to leave, I totally understand, but I want to give you just a, a little heads up. I actually think uh, if, if you're in junior high, this is going to be a, an incredible message for you. I wish I would have heard this message in junior high or last year. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I'm going to just give you a second. If you need to leave, I totally understand, you know, uh, so I'm, I'm talking about covenant connection. It's, it's kind of the final piece of this way of love series. I could probably teach for the rest of my life on this and not even scratch the surface of what God's love is for us. Um, and what it looks like to live in it. Here, here's what I, I want you to know. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, intimacy and connection and sexuality. And, and, and in that, here's what I, I want you to grasp. And I think you'll hear this throughout everything that I say. One is Romans chapter eight, verse one says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so as we're diving into this, I want you to know that I understand that our stories are deeply sacred to us that our histories are personal, and no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done or what has been done to you, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. And I wish I would have known that when people talked to me about sexuality, because what I, what I got was a whole lot of fear and, uh, and condemnation connected with it. And, and the second thing I want you to know is this. Romans 2.4 says this, that God's kindness leads us to repentance. And so I believe probably for most of us this morning, you're going to hear some tugs on your heart to rethink some things. And I hope that we all do because God's that good that he's just always got better for us. But I believe that it's God's kindness, not condemnation, that leads us to repentance. And if you read Steve's book, then you'll recognize that repentance is a good word. It is the evidence that better is available for you and that you can change the way you think to come into agreement with it and receive it from God, that he's that good. Uh, Romans also says this, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So on our own, what I'm about to teach you is absolutely impossible. And when we look at our stories, they're probably littered with pain and tragedy, tragedy with failure um, and, and even victimization. And so as we, as we dive into this, recognize that you're not alone. One of the most isolating things that the enemy tries to do to us is say that there is something uniquely wrong with you, that what's happened to you has never happened to anybody else. And there's a trap in that that's incredibly isolating. I love what our children's pastor, Kate, said a couple years ago. She said, what I, did, I thought my whole life that something was uniquely wrong with me, and what I discovered is that there's actually something uniquely right with me. And I believe that God wants to bring restoration to you, to me, in powerful ways. I think there's just always more with God. Amen? Amen. Cool. So I, I grew up uh, in church. Most of my growing up was in the, in the 90s. And in the 90s, there was this deal called True Love Waits. Anybody 
Remember that? Yeah. So true love waits. And so what would happen is you'd go through this course, and I think they taught you a lot of rules. I don't really remember, so somebody could correct me later if I'm wrong. Uh, but at the end of this course, basically what you would do is you would make this agreement to wait until you're married to have sex. And, and they'd give you this ring, and, and you'd, so you'd wear the ring um, until you got married. And I actually lost my ring way before I lost my purity. I just misplaced it because I'm just forgetful like that. And... Um, and, and, and but what I what I gathered from that ultimately was a relationship with the rules of holiness. And relationship with the rules of holiness instead of relationship with the spirit of holiness will make you miserable. It will leave you stuck in striving and feeling like a failure your whole life. You see, the law demands what's impossible, but the Spirit empowers the impossible to be possible. Romans says this, that the law actually arouses or awakens sin in us. And so when you get the, the law of holiness without the Spirit of holiness, what you get stuck in is fruitless striving that will lead you ultimately in its end to death. And so I was taught a whole bunch of rules that, that tended to weigh on me and, and made me really miserable because I couldn't possibly live up to the standard that I was uh, called to live at apart from the spirit that was going to empower me to live there. And so it, it, it messed with me and I felt like I was a failure. I felt like God didn't like me, that he wanted to be distant from me, that he, that he couldn't handle me. And it led me, in a lot of ways, into backing down from what God had called me to do. Um, it led me away from believing that God was always with me. It created a, a mindset of distance and separation from God because of my sin. And so the result was is that I was miserable, and I was trying to follow God, and I found myself regularly in, in, in a place of failure, Here's what I love. Purity is not about a list. It's about stewarding my end of covenant connection, of covenant relationship for healthy connection. But what happens to us is we get so wounded and divided in our hearts that wholeness and intimacy seem impossible. Most of us have stories that are full of imperfect sexuality. And in that story, what happens is we make decisions and decisions are made towards us that actually don't involve our will at all, that violate our will. And what happens is when those things go unhealed, it divides our hearts, our minds, our souls, and it makes us a mess. And that's actually not what God created us for. When, we get, when we're wounded in our sexuality, it inhibits our ability to love fully and freely because our sexuality is not compartmentalized in our life but integrated into our entire being and integral in our ability to give and receive love. So at a young age, I was exposed to material that I should have never seen. And there was something about that that clouded the way that I saw myself and God and others. And it actually created in me a self-reliance that kept me from being able to connect well with others. 
because I, I thought there was something wrong or dirty with me. It changed the way that I saw people. It made everything highly sexualized. And the truth is, is this, that God has actually given us a sex drive, but when that sex drive gets violated, whether it's by our own decisions or what's been done to us, then it goes into like hyperdrive and really begins to put destruction in our way. Your sex drive is actually good. It's something that God does not condemn, but he actually entrusts to you to steward well for the point of connection. Go with me to Genesis chapter two. We'll jump into the beginning. It's crucial to understand God's design if we're going to live into God's purpose. So Genesis chapter two, we'll start in verse 18. And it says this, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. It says, I will make a helper suitable for him. That word helper does not mean like a lower class sidekick. It means it's like the same uh, type of language that's used for the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God that God sends to us. And so when he says, I'm going to make a helper for you, he's not making a servant. He's making a partner. He says, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to, to man to see what he could name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. That word name means being pretty cool. It actually informs or directs, declares what its purpose is in giving it a name. So it's actually a, an act of co-creating with God. So the man gave the names of names to all the livestock, the birds uh, in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Again, he said, it's not good for God to be alone. Here's what you need to understand is that God created Adam to actually represent and relate to him. So that Adam was actually created in the image of God. And so Adam's issue was not an issue of loneliness. You see, in Genesis 1, what we see is that it says, in the image of God, he created them. And it actually uses, and it says, in our image. It actually uses this plural. And the plural is of God because God is three in one. And so the Trinity exists in a perfect unity of community, loving each other incredibly well. So God did not create us to love him. He actually created us as an object of his love, as a recipient of his love. You see, inside of the Trinity, there was so much love that God was actually saying, hey, we've got all this and we want to give it away. So I'm going to create an object of my affection. And in Adam... Adam's issue was not loneliness because he was actually invited into the relationship of the Trinity. That's what John 17 even says, is that we're actually invited into the community, the love of the Trinity. It's incredible. So Adam's problem wasn't loneliness. His problem was that he had so much love that was overflowing that he actually needed another object of his love. And so God said, hey, you've got all of this in you. You're created actually for community like I am. And so it's not good for you to be alone. You actually need an outlet for the love that I've put in you. Does that make sense? And that's why he said it's not good for man to be alone. And so then it says that he, uh, so the Lord God in verse 21 caused the man to fall asleep 
fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs. That's a bad translation. We'll go back to that. And then he closed it up, closed up the place with his flesh. Then the Lord made woman from the rib. That word rib is actually side. Say side. side. He had taken out of man and he brought her to the man. It's important to recognize that he didn't take hair off his head. I don't have any to give or like a toenail off his foot, but he actually pulled from his side. And actually the better word is side or half that what God did in creating Eve was he actually separated masculinity and femininity. And so he's, so because he created Adam in the image of God, and then he separates the masculine and the feminine, and then he throws them back together. We'll see that in just a second. It says, Uh, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked. Everybody say amen and felt no shame. Say amen, amen. (laughs) So here's what happened. What God said is that I'm going to separate them and then I'm going to bring them back together and let covenant love be what binds them together. And so no longer are they bound by the containment of a human body, but instead they're bound together by covenant love, which involves a choice. And it's this beautiful picture of what God actually created us for. You see, he created us to become one and actually designed sexuality as the key to that engagement in our oneness. You see, covenant is an agreement for the purpose of oneness. And sex is an integral part of creating physical, emotional, and of creating the physical, emotional, and spiritual bond of marriage. It's not exactly marriage, though it is the seal of the covenant of marriage. It's essential, it's essential to spiritual marriage. So sex outside of marriage is covenant connection. This is the key to what I'm saying. It's covenant connection without vowels or terms that provide covenant protection. It's connecting your life to someone without the protection and direction of vows. I'm gonna come back to that, but I just wanna read you this. The Med Institute says this. This is not a Christian deal. This is just what they're talking about with sexuality. It says, when a couple engages in sexual behavior, neurotransmitters such as oxytocin, vasopressin, and dopamine stimulate formation, the formation of synaptic, synaptic connections in the brain, associating the pleasure of sex with the partners involved, encouraging them to bond and to have more sex together, leading to the beginning of a family unit. So here's what God did. God said he separated man and woman, and he said, I actually intended you to live as one by choice instead of by force or by containment in a body. And and then what he did was he actually created our brain and all of our neurochemistry to work in such a way 
that actually the act of sex or sexual acts, and that's important to understand because so often I hear the question, how far is too far? Here's what it's saying is that actually it's, it's not about intercourse, it's actually sexual activity that actually releases all of that stuff in your brain to bond you together. So here's, here's what happens. Here's why marriage is essential for sexuality to take place. What happens is, is that in our brains, we actually bond to the person that we're sexually engaged with. And if you do not have the, the protection of covenant inside of sexual bonding, then all of a sudden you've opened yourself up to somebody else without the protection that covenant provides. Are you with me? And so what, what covenant is, is it comes with vows. And, and as I've been doing premarital counseling, I've had this realization recently, sorry for those of you that I married a long time ago, <laughs> I've had this revelation recently of how crucial our vows are. Because what we're doing is we're saying these are the terms of our relationship. These are our rules of engagement. These are the things that actually protect us and connect us. This is the decision that we're choosing to make as we live together. And what happens is a couple makes those vows, and then we cutely say, I cutely say, now, as a seal of this vow, you may kiss each other. That's actually not the way that the seal of the vow works, but we're not going to go into an old-school old Jewish ceremony that has a white tent set up in the middle of the ceremony for the couple to actually seal their vows. That that's, would be a little bit strange in our culture. But you see, sex is actually intended by God to be the seal of covenant, and so... When we engage in sexuality outside of covenant, what we do is we're giving our heart away for free with no conditions. And see, I, I was taught, like, you don't want to do that because, like, your body parts will fall off or, <laughs> or somebody will get pregnant or you'll get STDs, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't know. Pieces of that are true. Um, <laughs> But the, the truth is, is that the most sacred thing that you have is your heart. And so the, the reason why, and we've talked about this, there's a way of love that God has called us to live in, and in that way provides the best life for us. And, and the reason is, is that it's actually connected to our heart. Like, like our sexuality is deeply personal. It's connected to our heart. And so when we... When we choose to engage. And let me just say choose. That's a really important word because some of you have been engaged with sexually and you didn't choose it. And I'll talk about that some more in a minute. But when you choose to engage, what happens is, is that you create a connection that becomes illegitimate without the protection of covenant. And it messes with us, right? Like I hear people say all the time stuff like, oh, you never forget your first. Yeah, you don't forget your first because you are eternally connected to them in your brain, not not to mention in your spirit. And, and, and so the, the, the sad thing, here, here's kind of I, I, what I see has happened culturally. I'm probably not perfect on this, is that for a long time culturally, the church had a, a voice in this. And the church's voice in this was about legalism instead of about grace. 
And so then we end up in the sexual revolution that causes all sorts of just like, eh, that doesn't even make sense. Let's just go for it. Because not, you know, not, not all of the boogeyman stuff was coming true or not immediately true at least. And so we thought, okay, well, let me just run down this road and see uh, what happens, right? And so there were no, and, and so then it like tilted. And, and what I want to say to you is that there is actually incredible reason to everything that God commands. It's always for our protection and the enemy's lies that God is holding out on us. But he's actually holding out for us. And so what happens is, is that when we engage all of that stuff in our brain, it creates an illegitimate connection. Here's what I didn't realize is that even in pornography, you actually create an illegitimate connection. And that stuff begins to mess with you. And the reason why it's difficult to stop is because you've created an illegitimate connection. It actually is incredibly addictive and it distorts all of your relationships and it messes all sorts of stuff up. And it doesn't just happen with pornography or with somebody else. It actually happens in our minds, in, our, in the way that we think. And when we don't take our thoughts captive, our thoughts begin to take us captive. And so it's, it's crucial that we learn to live in a way called holiness. And it's not hopeless. It's not hopeless. Say that with me. It's not hopeless. It's not hopeless. Now say this. I'm not hopeless. I'm not hopeless. Come on. <laughs> Go with me now to 1 Corinthians Chapter 6 will be in verse 15 to 20. We'll touch on this for a second and we'll keep moving. The last phrase that I read in Genesis 2 says that they were naked and unashamed. Let me say this to you. I believe that God wants to lead us in such a place of purity that we can be absolutely intimate in the protection of marriage and feel no shame. That God actually wants to heal your past that would prevent you from operating in intimacy without shame in such a way that you can actually have pure connection. But it doesn't stop there. You see, I believe that God wants to bring healing in such a way that even in our relationships, not sexual relationships, but just in relationships and in our connection with God, that we would be so free of shame that we could actually give our hearts fully in love in the way that God's called us to. That we wouldn't be hiding behind who's in and out and who's done this or that, but we would actually become so powerful in love as we're free of shame that we could actually love well like God loves because he's our source instead of love the way that people deserve to be loved, which never makes sense. You with me? All right. 1 Corinthians six fifteen says, do says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Here's what's going on in Corinth. In Corinth, there is a, uh, a, a temple and there, there are actually temple prostitutes. And so it's like this spiritual and sexual thing that's a, just an absolute mess, but there's still application in this for us, even though we're not doing that stuff in that way. It says, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in her body. For it is, is said that, two, that the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual 
immorality, all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit? Here's why it's key that we talk about sexuality in the context of relationship with God and love is that actually that, that there is something sacred. If your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, there is actually something sacred about your body. That God actually intended you to, to actually live in this place of holiness. Here, here's what I love about the idea of, of, of holiness. Is that holiness, for a long time I thought holiness was about what I did and didn't do. But the, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of holiness. Holy is not just the description of the spirit, but it's a description of what the spirit does in us. Let me say that again. Holy is not just a description of the spirit. It's not just saying that spirit is holy, but it's actually the work that the spirit does in us. You see, we, we say these things like I lost my innocence or I lost my purity. And they're like they're things that we say, but they actually don't make sense. Why? Because it's impossible for you to lose your innocence. You're not a victim of your innocence being taken from you. You can't be guilty of something you did not intentionally do. So some of you, we would use this phrase that your innocence was stolen from you. I, I get the intent behind that, but it's impossible for somebody to steal your innocence. And if you were sexually abused, which the number is by the time you're about 22, I think it's about 60% of women and about 40% of men will be victims of self-abuse or of sexual abuse. If you were sexually abused, I just want to declare this over you. You were messed with and you were violated, but your innocence was not stolen. It was not taken from you because nobody can take your innocence from you. That's rooted in a choice that you make. And if somebody did something to you, you're still innocent. Did they awaken love out of place? Absolutely. And it's not love, but it's your sexuality became awakened inappropriately. But you're still innocent, even if somebody messed with you. And I believe, actually, that God wants to do such a work in you that he restores to you what was taken from you. This will probably get me in trouble in our day and culture, but I actually believe this that God wants to do, that the gospel is so real and so powerful that he actually wants to free the ones who did it to you. And those of you in here, and the numbers would say, if it's 40% and 60%, the numbers would mean this, that there's got to also be some violators out there. And I believe the power of the gospel is so good and so strong that it actually will free violators from the torment and shame of what they've done. That doesn't take away your relational and legal responsibility. If you've made a mess, you have a responsibility to clean it up. But I believe that God wants to set you free from the torment that you're experiencing from the things that you've done. Yes. 
If we weren't messed with shame, we'd all be shouting up and down. The glory of the gospel is that God can restore us. So it's crucial that we, as we're having this conversation that we understand this also, that sex is not for you. You see, what we've done in our culture that has hyper-sexualized our whole world is that we've made us the objects of our sexuality. God never intended for sex to be about you. Did he intend for it to feel good, to bring pleasure? Absolutely. But he never intended for it to be about you. It's actually not supposed to ever be about what you receive. That's secondary. It's actually supposed to be primarily about what you give. But what's happened is, is that we've distorted sexuality and we've made it actually about us instead of about our spouse. And so then it's, oh, like, what, what can I get out of this deal? That's not the way God created us to be. That's not what love does. Love doesn't want first, it actually gives first. And when we begin to get that right in our head, it actually purifies our intent and increases our connection because then all of a sudden, it's actually not about me. It doesn't mean that I don't communicate inside of a healthy relationship, of, of, of marriage, of that protection. Actually, I think it's a crucial husbands and wives and those of you that will one day be one, that we actually talk about those things, that we have real conversations about it. I think that's incredibly important in the inside of a healthy relationship because I think shame wants to work its way into our relationships and keep us separated from each other. So God gave us sex as a gift that actually brings connection. And it's incredible when it happens inside of God's design. And yet that connection can be incredibly destructive. What it does is it creates illegitimate covenant and creates what biblically is called a soul tie. It's this connection to somebody or to even, even to images and, and, and to ideas and all of that stuff in a way that actually really distort our lives. And I believe that God wants to bring us to such a place of freedom that we would grasp how good he is. Here's what I love about covenant with God. You see, our, our salvation is actually the entrance into a covenant relationship with God. And in that place, he begins to share his heart with us. And here's what he says about us. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. You know that God is the covenant partner with you that will never file for divorce. He's in it for life, for your life. He's in it. Now you can choose to walk away, but that's what covenant love looks like. He says, I will remember your sins no more. Here's the great thing, especially in the context of our conversation this morning, is that God is not remembering our sins. He's not counting them against us. He says, I will separate your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. It's crucial that we understand that God is not treating us as our actions deserve, but he's actually treating us as his son deserved. Jesus got what we deserve so we could get what he deserved. 
In a, in a little bit, we'll, we'll take communion, but now I'll, I want you to understand this, that sex is to marriage as communion is to my relationship with God. Sex is to marriage as communion is to my relationship with God. You see, what, what, what I do in communion, I don't have to get saved over and over again. But what I do is I say, I'm all in. I'm re-upping into this covenant connection. I'm all in with you, God. And, I, and I'm taking seriously the vows that you've made with me. Here's God's vow with us. His vow with us is that this is a new covenant of forgiveness, meaning he's not actually gonna count our sin against us. That he actually gives us a new heart. That he puts his spirit in us. And that he walks with us, that, his, that our sin won't separate us from him that he's actually not looking to punish us. It says this in 1 John 4, 18, that perfect love drives out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. God's perfect love actually removes with us the potential for punishment. So he's not looking to get one over on you. He's not looking to take advantage of you. He's actually giving to you. He is so good. I like him. And when we begin to understand the permanency of God's covenant with us, it makes us understand actually what we're offering inside of marriage. And, and when we get that in the way that he's called us to live, it actually changes the way that we live. We understand that he's so committed to us that I actually can't do anything to get out of relationship with him. Like he's, I'm not going to ever scare him off. And so communion is an act of affirming our commitment and it's re-upping our vows and our connection and saying, hey, I'm all in with you. In the same way that inside of marriage, what sex does is it actually like reaffirms our connection and our commitment to each other in such a way that actually it causes you to forget at least at a level the ways that you've hurt each other and actually be incredibly connected from that place on. It's an incredible gift from God meant to be stewarded inside of the context that he's given us. So the reality is, is that probably most of us in one way or another have actually blown it, right? Like we haven't lived out God's design. And what I love about God, what I love about the good news is this, that it is not simply this command to live in some sort of religious principle, but it's actually the power to live life the way that God commanded us to. Go with me. Actually, we'll just put it up on the screen. Colossians 1.20. It says this, And by the blood of his cross, everything in heaven and earth is brought back to himself, back to its original intent, restored to innocence again. Here's what I believe is that God actually wants to restore our innocence. That he actually, that this is the key and especially inside the context of sexuality, that if we would let him restore to us our innocence, then we would be so free to live loved, to live full. That, that we would actually be able to love others well, that we would operate from this place of being able to give first and not having to walk in shame or to guard ourselves ridiculous links from other people. 
Justification, which is that idea of restoration of innocence, is not merely the legal ruling of not guilty. You understand when Jesus died on the cross, what he did is he justified us before God, but it's not simply this ruling of you're not guilty, like the charges didn't stick, you know, we didn't get enough evidence against you, but it's actually a declaration of your innocence, like there are no charges against you that had anything near sticking to you, that you're so clean and pure that I'm actually declaring you innocent. It's not just not guilty, like, oh yeah, we forgot about those things, we swept them under the rug, but those things actually don't exist anymore. It's a saturation in innocence. It's that every fiber of my being, my past, my present, my future, are marked by him as innocent. And if he's forgotten those things, then I actually have permission to forget them too. And here's what's cool about the gospel. I believe that the gospel is not simply this like spiritual legal thing, but that it actually works in our hearts and our minds, that it has effect on our physical bodies. I believe that when we come into agreement with God and the innocence that he gives us, even those illegitimate bonds that you made in the past become free and the neuropathways that are created by the decisions that you make get rerouted so that you can have healthy lives and healthy connection. I believe that justification is so radically powerful that to fully receive it restores your heart and your mind to clean and pure. I believe that's what God wants to do with us. And I believe that if, if we are willing to boldly step into the freedom that God is continuing to offer to us, then I believe that we can have an incredible impact on the world around us. In fact, in our day, I believe that the church is robbed of her destiny because of the shame connected with sexuality. And that our power is actually connected to our ability to walk in freedom and innocence. That the enemy often undermines and whispers lies about what we were called to be because he's trying to remind us of what God's already chosen to forget. And if we could say, yes, God, I just receive everything that you've given to me and I take your restoration on me then I believe that we can walk in incredible power, incredible authority. And let me say this. It would be easy to be 50, 60, 70, 80 years old here and think, man, this is a great message for the young people. But the truth is, is that we all need to walk in this. That this, I believe this is what God is wanting to do in all of us, that he wants to break the illegitimate agreements that we've made and lead us into freedom, and that if we choose to receive it, then we can actually be free and step into what God has for us. And I believe this, that this is a shame-free zone, that we don't participate with shame. It's whisper maybe there faintly, but we're just not going to agree with it. And that if we actually said, hey, God, I want all that you have, regardless of what it costs me, then we actually shake off the shackles of shame. And as we do, I believe that God wants to give us incredible gifts in him. The truth is, for me, spending time with people, I can help people get free by the power of Jesus all day long. Serious, it's, it's really simple. Freedom, receiving freedom is simple. Walking in freedom is where most people struggle. 
Because here's what freedom does to us. Freedom returns us to the place of choice. And so you may have prayed like through this stuff a thousand times in the past and it never seems to stick because you're expecting somebody to wave a magic wand over you that will change everything about you. What God isn't looking for is robots. What he's looking for is powerful sons and daughters. And so what happens is this, is that we get prayed for and we think, oh man, well, I have this temptation to go back to that again, and so surely nothing happened. And so it actually steals our faith in the freedom that we've received. I, I love this. I think I've shared this with you before. My six-year-old helped me catch this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So we were praying a couple weeks ago on the way to church and I just asked her to ask God what he's doing and she heard self-control. Here's what self-control means. By the way, it's a fruit of the spirit, right? It actually means the right to get government of self back. You see, the fruit of the spirit in you is that you actually get control of your life back. And that's why it's important to understand that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of holiness that he actually empowers us to take responsibility for our own lives and to walk in freedom. You see, what you, you don't need more rules about what you can and can't do. What you need is the presence of God, the Spirit of God, resting in you that you are sensitive to so that you can walk into freedom. I think it's Galatians, it's 5, I think 13 says that those who walk by the Spirit will satisfy the desires of the flesh. What we tend to do is operate from a mentality of distance and separation from God. So I have to clean myself up in order to get to God. But what God is saying actually is that I'm gonna put my Spirit in you, the Spirit of holiness. That's gonna be what makes you holy and then empowers you to walk in holiness. And so we get it backwards. But when we receive the Holy Spirit, what he does in us is teaches us to walk in a way that we don't desire, satisfy the desires of the flesh. And when we get that backwards, what we find ourselves in is stuck in religion. And it's miserable. But when I have communion with the Spirit, I get to walk in freedom. And it's beautiful. It empowers so much life. I believe that's what God has for us. Would you stand with me? Here's what we're gonna do. This is... Way different than we've ever done before. Some of you just got scared. Is that we're going to, one, we're going to take communion together. We've done that before. And I'm going to ask the communion servers that you would kind of, they're going to be here, here, and here, that you would actually scoot up your aisle just a little bit because we're going to open up the altar in a different way. But here's what's going to happen when they offer you communion. They're going to declare something over you that this is the body of Jesus given for you that you would be made whole, restored. You see, the body of Jesus was given for us for our restoration, that we could be made whole. And then you're gonna take that cracker and you're gonna stick it in the juice that represents the blood of Jesus. And they're gonna say, this is the blood of Jesus poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. And what that means is that when we receive Jesus, that we actually get restored back to innocence. And then what we're going to do, 
that's different than we've done before is we're just gonna open up the altar. And I, I actually, I just believe that God wants to, to provide you an opportunity just to deal with him in anything. So we're not gonna actually have prayer teams that you come up to and pray with, but I am gonna ask the prayer teams that you would find people as they come forward and you would just lay your hand on them and pray for them. And pray this, prayer team, I'll just give you instruction now. Pray for a baptism, which is essentially the idea of saturation to the point of transformation, a baptism of innocence. Because I believe that God is restoring to us our innocence. And you see, God wants to entrust the kingdom of heaven to people who are childlike. And so you need your innocence restored if you're going to be able to receive the kingdom. And I don't, I don't we're, again, we don't do shame, right? So you, you may be in like some full-blown mess and you may just struggle in your thoughts and that be the, the limitation of, uh, of where you're struggling. But I believe that God wants to restore to us our in, innocence and he wants to give us back government over ourselves. And so they're gonna pray that you would be restored, baptized in innocence, and then they're gonna pray that you would receive a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I, I believe that you get what you have faith to receive. It requires faith to receive. It's, it's really not about somebody laying hands on you, although their partnership with you is huge, but I believe that you could walk away from here and experience nothing if you don't believe that God wants to do it for you. But if you connect your faith to what God is doing right now, I believe there's the power for your transformation. Amen? Amen. All right. So Father, I just thank you for your goodness towards us, your kindness. Lord, I thank you that the bondage of shame and fear is leaving. Lord, I thank you that the power of the blood is so strong and so real that it changes our histories. And as you pray, just between you and God, it's, it's wise where you've had illegitimate connection outside of the protection of covenant that you just break those agreements. And that looks like, God, I, I've been looking at pornography or I've, I've done this or that with this person or that. And you just declare those agreements broken. And I believe that God will untie you from those thoughts, from that person, those people and set you free.